So it was a Sunday very similar to this that I remember as a kid, my dad was the pastor of the church that we attended, and he was out of town. And we got up that Sunday morning. My mom was getting the kids ready. We got in the car. I was about 11 years old, and we got to church. And when we got to church, all the cars were already in the church, already there. And there was nobody outside, and my mom was like, oh, no, the clocks went forward. And she was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. She goes, we're not going to walk into the, into the, into the uh, sanctuary of the church. She goes, it's too embarrassing. It's too humiliating. We forgot that the clocks went forward. The service was already like halfway into, uh, uh, in, 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 into its beginning. And she says, this is what we're going to do. At the church we had, we had this crash area for kids, uh, for like crying babies that looked over the sanctuary where the church was. She says, let's walk up into there and we'll just watch it from there and uh, and then we'll walk out before it finishes so nobody knew we were here they thought we were with our dad I was like mom why I was like let's just walk in who cares she goes no it's too humiliating too embarrassing well I didn't really understand the word humiliation at that point in my life but later that summer I got a good taste of what humiliation was because we went to the beach and uh, we were, as we went to the beach, we went to the beach with a family from our church who were good friends of ours. And they had, I was 11 years old at the time, and they had a little girl who was 10 years old at the time. My parents always said that we would get married, but we were just good friends. We, there was never anything, you know, any spark between us. But still, at 11 years old, we got to the beach, and I said to my mom, I was like, where can we go and get changed And uh, um, into my swim shorts? And my mom says, well, she goes, just do it here. I says, mom, I'm not going to do it here. She says, it's right. I'll put a towel around you, and uh, she goes, and then just quickly it changed. So my mom put a towel around me, down go my pants and my underwear. I'm about to put the swim shorts on, and the words before I says, mom, do not drop the towel. She was, don't worry, I'm not going to drop the towel. Well, the next thing I know is this 10-year-old girl is looking at me as I'm stark naked because my mother dropped the towel. You can imagine, right? My cheeks just went super red and my head went down and it was almost like a like this. And uh, I was so embarrassed for the rest of the day. Still, that girl, uh, her name is Louise. We're good friends, but I still can't look at her the same way ever again. She's seen too much of me. Humiliation, right? It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. It reminds me of another time where I used to play soccer when uh, I was younger and I was on a soccer team. And one day we arrived and our goalkeeper was, uh, was sick and couldn't make it. And so they were asking for volunteers who wants to play in goal. Well, nobody wants to put their hand up because nobody wanted to play in goal. So the, the coach of our team was like, Alex, you're in goal. I was like, oh man, come on. That day, we lost 12 to 0. And uh, I walked off that field that day totally embarrassed, totally humiliated because I'd, I'd been the goalkeeper that let 12 goals in, even though I actually wasn't the worst player on the field that day. That's how bad we played. But those are funny things. You can look back on those and you can laugh in those times of humiliation, embarrassment, but there are also times when humiliation comes and it's not something that you can look back on and laugh, but often you look back on in pain. And one of my best friends 
growing up Rick. His dad was an alcoholic. His dad was a lot older than his mother, and he was an alcoholic. They got divorced, and he had come to our church, and he had found Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and uh, he was on fire for God, and we were trying to reach out to his father. Well, one Sunday night, the service had just finished, and we were sitting near the front where like, the youth sat when we were, when we were younger, and the church had just finished, and then suddenly we heard this guy at the back just singing this drunkard song. And I look over at my friend Rick, who was sitting next to me, and suddenly his face went down. His cheeks got red, and he just started shaking his head, for he knew that drunkard voice, and that was his dad. So embarrassed, so humiliated in that moment. See, humiliation is one of the worst feelings a human can ever experience. The feeling of people laughing at us, the feeling of people looking at us, the feeling of people talking about us. And it's not often you forget those moments when you have felt embarrassed or humiliated in this life. Webster's Dictionary says that humiliation is to reduce someone to a lower position in one's eyes, to make them ashamed or embarrassed. Humiliation. The final hours of Jesus's life were filled with humiliation. Jesus went through the pain and went through the suffering. He went through the pressure and the anguish of being sentenced to death. But it was the humiliation of Jesus' death that I think was the most cruel part of Jesus' final hours here on earth. His death could have been the very definition of what the dictionary calls humiliation. Jesus was looked down upon. Jesus was talked about. Jesus was put in a lesser position. Jesus was put through emotions where he could have felt ashamed or embarrassed. Now, last week, we talked about the cup of pressure. And we talked about taking the cup of pressure. And sometimes life just brings this pressure on us so much. And Jesus went through this moment when he started to pray in the garden of the Gethsemane or the olive grove after the Last Supper. And Jesus was praying. And as Jesus was praying, it says that, that the pressure was so great, his soul was crushed with anguish. And then after he prayed, Jesus got up and he said to his disciples who had been sleeping at the time, he says, get up for my betrayer is here. And at that moment, there was a crowd that came towards Jesus. And leading the crowd was one of Jesus' disciples, Judas. Judas Iscariot, who had been the one who had left the Last Supper early to go and sell Jesus, or to sell, uh, uh, the, to betray Jesus for some money. And there is Judas coming with the temple guard. And as, Jesus, as Judas arrived, he gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek in one of the marks of the worst betrayal this world has ever seen. So then Jesus is arrested and then he is taken to the high priest at the time to be questioned. And then to go on trial, but Jesus is already condemned and already sentenced before a trial has ever happened because they want to get rid of Jesus. The Jewish high priest and the Jewish leaders and the religious leaders, they want to get rid of Jesus. 
And so Jesus is questioned by the high priest and eventually through the, the legal uh, the, the, the legal trail that you must go on in a couple of hours, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor of the region of that time. See, Rome, the Roman Empire had invaded the region, and the region of Jerusalem was governed by Rome, and Pontius Pilate was the governor of that time. Now, what many people don't realize about Pontius Pilate was he was fighting for his job. See, his job was on the line. The reason was is because there had been so much disturbances and uprising in that region that Rome had had enough. And the emperor of Rome had had enough at that time. And Pontius Pilate, he was sent to try to, 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 to keep the peace in that area, but it hadn't worked. And Pilate understood that if Rome got wind of another uprising, another disturbance in the area, then he was probably going to lose his job. And so Pilate had this mission in life, keep the peace, keep the peace. Really what Rome didn't understand is that area has been in turmoil for ever since, even before. It's just a, an area where there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of strife, a lot of disturbances. But Pilate wanted to keep the peace. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in our Bible today. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 15, we're going to read from the beginning of the chapter. And this is what it says. Very early in the morning, the, leader, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews, Pilate asked. For we realize now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. They had nothing on him. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the, the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, remember Pilate wants to keep the peace. To pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus to be flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And it says this, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called him out 
um, and called out the entire regiment. So all the soldiers came out. They dressed him in a purple robe and wove a thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed uh, stick, spat on him, and dropped their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. So let me just give you some context of the place that Jesus was in this moment. See, Jesus had been arrested, taken to the high priest, but then the high priest had sent him to Pontius Pilate because they didn't have the authority to crucify him. Only the governor of Rome had the authority to have someone crucified, to have someone put to death. And so they they sent him to Pontius Pilate. Now, the first century historian... A guy by the name of Joseph Flaeus referred to the place that Jesus stood before Pilate as the Tower of Antonia. The Tower of Antonia. Now, where Pilate was, was known as the Antonia Fortress. The Antonia Fortress. We've actually got a picture of the Antonia Fortress. It's in the middle of uh, Jerusalem. And... uh, It was named the Antonia Fortress by King Herod, who was the king of the region at the time. And it was given as a gift to the Roman Empire in honor of the great Roman general and politician, Mark Anthony. So Herod took this piece of property that looks like almost a castle, and he gives it as a gift to the Roman Empire. And it's in this place that Pilate's military headquarters was. It was the barracks for the soldiers. So when they say, when, when the entire regiment came out to see Jesus dressed in this purple robe and put a crown of thorns on his head, it's because this is the barracks where the soldiers of Jerusalem were. Now, if, if you see, it, it's pretty high up. The Antonia Fortress looked over the temple area of Jerusalem. And it was important that he looked over the temple area because it was in the temple area that a lot of the uprisings would happen. That would be the place where people would gather and all the crowds would get together and then people would start to, 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 uh, uh, to, to try to uprise against the governments. And so the soldiers could look down on the temple area so they could keep the peace. Now, this was not always a military headquarters. In fact, This piece of property was built back in 142 BC by the then Jewish high priest, a man by the last name of Hycranus. And he had built this property in order to keep what they called the holy vestments and the holy clothes and the place where they would organize the festivals, the Jewish festivals, the festivals of Passover and the festivals of Pentecost and, and, and all the different Jewish festivals that would happen in Jerusalem. And this was the place where they would keep that. But when Herod came over, he took over it and he gave it to the Roman Empire. Now, in the middle of this Antonio fortress, there is a big archway. 
And this archway, you can even see it today, this archway, if you go to Jerusalem. And it is called the Arch of Eki Homo. Eki Homo. It's a Latin word. And this is what it means. Behold the man. Behold the man. Now, John 19, verse 5, tells us this. That Pilate came and presented Jesus to the people. And this is what Pilate said. Behold the man. He said it in a mocking way. Behold the man. Obviously, and and historians will will, will tell you, they believe that Jesus was standing on the, the archway at that time, saying, behold the man. They accused Jesus. They spat on Jesus. They laughed at Jesus. They looked down and despised Jesus. Can you imagine this humiliation Jesus was going through at this moment in time? He had come to save humanity, and now the King of Heaven was being humiliated at the very ones he had been create, who he had created. And then they started to shout, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" They were demanding his death, but not any death. They were demanding that he would die by way of the cross. The way of the cross. The cross was a Roman way to punish someone for their crimes. It it was a way to execute somebody. But the cross was not like today if somebody is executed, where it's more lethal injection. Years ago, it used to be gas or electrocution, and it would happen immediately. Even going back in time, many hundreds of years, they used to hang people in execution, and it would happen immediately. But the cross was different. If you were sentenced to death on the cross, it meant that you would stay there for hours upon hours, and your life, little by little, would be draining out of you. See, the way that you died with the cross, it it, it wasn't because your head got chopped off. Or it wasn't because you bled to death. The way you died on the cross was because your lungs would eventually give up. Every time you would breathe out, you couldn't breathe in quite as much. And eventually you died, but it would be hours upon hours. It was the most humiliating way to die. The people who died by way of the cross were common common criminals, which Jesus was not. The cross was the most undignified way to die. And here was the king of heaven dying a common man's death in an undignified way. Oh, the humiliation. Now, if that had been me that day, this is what I would have done. I would have ordered the angels of heaven to come down and just rip the limbs off everybody. Sorry to be gross. I would have done something to show my power. For I would have been the king of heaven. I would have had power. I would have shown people. I would have retaliated. I would have said, there's no way you could call me, behold the man. I will show you that I am the man. I am the king. But Jesus shows us something different. This is not what Jesus did. Jesus shows us that when others reduce you to nothing, there is a response we should show. 
And it is, as Christ's followers, we should follow in Christ in that same response. See, the response to humiliation is never retaliation. It's always humility. I say that again. The response to humiliation should never be retaliation. It should always be humility. And Jesus shows us that even in the worst moment of his life, the most undignified moment of his life, the moment when he was humiliated beyond what you could even imagine, that a man is still able to lift his head in dignity if he just embraces humility. So very quickly this morning, I want to show you three things of how Jesus walked in humility in the moment of humiliation. And if we want to be good Christ followers and we want to follow in the way of Christ and be Christ-like, then we should embrace these things that Jesus did. And so the first thing that Jesus did that I probably would not have done in this moment was this. Jesus kept his mouth shut. Jesus kept his mouth shut. For me... If I had been standing before Pontius Pilate and they had been making these accusations, I would have opened my mouth and probably not shut it for a good 10 minutes. I would have been giving my innocence, pleading my case, giving my arguments. But the Bible tells us from the moment Jesus was arrested, it was this his mouth was shut tight. The one who spoke the world into being. The one who was the wisest teacher of all time. The one who could win any arguments with just one sentence. The one who had the words of life in the moment when his life was on the line, he kept quiet. He kept quiet. This was the time to speak inspiring words. It was the time to make your argument, the time to plead your case. Yet Jesus kept quiet. The prophet Isaiah, many hundreds of years before that, had said this in Isaiah 53, 7. He said, prophesying of the future Messiah. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And here is Jesus in this moment where everybody would expect you. Jesus, this is your chance. Plead your case. Tell them who you are. Jesus kept his mouth shut. See, it's in the moment of humiliation that it is tempting to speak our mind, to tell people what we really think, to, 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 to tell people this is really what's going on. I'm not really like this, or these people, what they're saying, it's, it's not like that, or, or here's my excuse why I did a certain thing. See, we want to defend ourselves. We want to tell our side of the story. However, not Jesus. Jesus kept his mouth shut. And let this be a lesson to us. Not every word spoken against us needs a response. 
Not every word spoken against us needs a response. Sometimes the most powerful weapon you have is silence. This is a good lesson for when you have kids. It's a great lesson when it comes to marriage. It's a wonderful lesson at those Thanksgiving meals and those Christmas meals when the extended family come around and things get a little crazy. It's a great lesson at work. Sometimes not every accusation needs a response. Silence is sometimes the most powerful weapon. About nine years ago, Raquel and myself were, were asked to come to a meeting. And as we arrived at this meeting, there were three men, three different pastors on one side of the table, and we were asked to sit on the other side of the table. For this one man had an accusation against us, something that was not true, something that had, hadn't happened. And, but he thought that we were acting in a way that we shouldn't have acted. And so he had called some other people together, and we thought we were going to make some kind of reconciliation to talk it through. Well, it wasn't that. It was like we were put on trial. And in that moment, I should have kept silent. But I was a little immature. So I didn't. So I pled my case. And I said I was innocent. And then I started giving the reasons why and this and that. And maybe if I said some things, maybe I shouldn't at the time because it just caught us by surprise and off guard. And I look back at that moment and that night and that meeting, and it hurts. I mean, we were hurt. We came out hurt. But I look back and I think, I should have just kept my mouth shut. The book of James tells us this, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And humility shuts its mouth. And this is what Jesus did. The second thing that Jesus did after Jesus shut his mouth was this. Jesus kept his face up. Jesus kept his face up. That Sunday night when Rick's dad came into our church and started to sing in a drunk, drunken song, the first thing that Rick, my friend, did was this put his face down. See, when we feel embarrassed, when we feel humiliated, there's a one thing in common that us as humans, we like to do. And that is, we like to put our face down. We like to hide our face. When my mother dropped the towel on that beach that day, do you know what I wanted to do? I didn't want to just bury my face in the sand. I wanted to bury my whole body in the sand. Because we don't like it when people are looking at us. People see us. They, 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 they see sides of us that often we don't like to show. And when people are talking about us, when people are looking down on us, when we feel embarrassed, the last thing that you want to do is see the face of somebody else. Right? We like to hide ourselves away. My son is a prime example. Because he's with my wife like all day, she can tell him off and he just gives an attitude, which I don't know where he gets it from. Obviously not me. But when daddy comes home and he does something and daddy tells him off, 
It's like the saddest thing ever. Like my heart breaks. The other day, I was doing, he was doing something and I told him no. And he kept doing it and doing it. In the end, I was like, Evan, no. And I raised my voice. And it's very, not very often I'll raise my voice to him. Next thing I know, 10 minutes later, he's disappeared. He's up in his bed, sitting on his bed with his legs crossed, his arms crossed. And Raquel went up to him and she said, she said, come on, buddy. She was like, daddy didn't want you to do that. No, no, I don't want to see anyone. No. And he didn't want, and I had to go and physically pick him up and talk to him before he came around. And then five minutes later, it's like nothing ever happened. But we want to keep our face down. We want to hide. And, but Jesus shows us a different way. See, a humble and powerful way to deal with moments of humiliation. Jesus didn't hide his face. You know what Jesus did? Jesus lifted his face. Jesus lifted himself up. The Bible tells us that Pilate brought Jesus out before the crowd. And there was Jesus and then there was Barabbas. And they started to shout, we want Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Jesus probably, everything within him just wanted to hide. As they whipped him, as they flocked him, as he carried his cross up to the the mountaintop or the hilltop called Golgotha, Jesus probably just wanted to hide. But yet, this is what Jesus did as he hung on a cross. He looked out amongst the crowd. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's humility right there. Jesus did not hide. Jesus lifted his head higher. See, the humble understand that when, you, when people celebrate you, you should bow your head low. But when people humiliate you, it's time to lift your head high. Don't let your face go down. Don't let your head droop. In those moments of embarrassment when people are saying things about you or talking about you, lift your head up. But when people are celebrating you, let your head get down a little. For it is the strong that can show their face when humiliation comes. It is the humble that can look someone in the eye and say, you know what, I forgive you. Jesus kept his mouth shut. Jesus kept his face up. And the last thing that Jesus did, Jesus kept his hands down. Jesus kept his hands down. Here is a man who has the power to control the winds and the waves. Here is the man who is the commander of heaven's armies. And what does he do as the soldiers mock him and dress him in a purple robe and thrust the crown of thorns on his head and whip him and then spit on him and then bow down in mock worship to him? As Pilate says, look, here is the king of the Jews in mockery. What does Jesus do? Jesus kept his hands down. He kept his hands down. Jesus had the power to smite them, right? To take them out, to do whatever. Jesus was more powerful. He was stronger than them. And if it would be me, I would have wanted to retaliate. I'm like, come on, get my rocky on, come on. But no, Jesus kept his hands down. 
He chose to be passive when it seemed logical to be aggressive. Remember what Jesus said one time? He said, you have heard it say that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn and let them slap your left cheek. Jesus, in this moment, was totally practicing what he had preached. His hands were down. Have you ever wanted to lash out at someone when they've tried to hurt you? Let's be honest this morning. Have you ever tried to lash out or wanted to lash out? Everything within you, like, I just really want to punch you right now, right? I'm sure we've all had that when people have tried to accuse us or people have tried to humiliate us or embarrass us. I've, I've said this story before uh, here at Generation Church, but I remember uh, as being a high school student, my, my friends noticed something different about me, and it was the fact that I didn't cuss. And they all cussed like crazy sailors, and I just didn't cuss, and they were like, we're going to make Alex cuss today. And it's like they ganged up on me. These were my friends, by the way. And so they, they gathered around me, and I remember we, we were in a secluded part of the school playground at the time, and they all got around me in a circle, and they started to push me and kick me. And they were like, Alex, cuss. I'm like, I'm not going to cuss. And they were like, cuss, go on. And they're like, we'll stop if you just say one cuss word. And they started repeating, say this word, say this one, say this one. I won't repeat it for you this morning. But something within me just welled up, a strength, was like, you can push me and kick me. I'm not going to cuss. Like, I can be honest with you guys now. I probably would have cussed today, you know, if someone had done that. I'm like, I don't want to get beaten up. But there was something within me that said, no, keep your hands down. Keep your hands down. It's funny because I was so passive that day, and I'm not a passive kind of guy. You know, if someone accuses me, I want, I want to, you know, speak my piece. I want to say some things. I, I can be very defensive at times if someone comes at me. Like my defenses go, go up. I know that's naturally me, but that day something happened within me. It was almost like God was there. And in that passiveness, it became a strength and it opened doors to speak to some of my friends about God. They were like, Alex, why didn't you just say a little cuss word? It would have stopped. But they saw a strength in that. I gained new respect with my friends that day. By keeping my hands down. Keeping my hands down. Jesus says we need to be more like little children when it comes to the kingdom of God. And wow, that moment in my life illustrates to me, I need to be like that a little bit more often. In my marriage, in my parenting, in my work, in my friendships, in my church. I need to be a little bit more, let my hands stay down. See, humiliation is a terrible thing. And maybe you're experiencing that right now. Maybe you've experienced it in the past. Maybe you might experience it in the future. It's when people are looking at you in a less desirable way. Maybe you, you might have done something to bring that humiliation on. Maybe you, you may have, have fallen or, or done something, you know, that you shouldn't have done. Or maybe like Jesus, you are innocent, but you're still under attack. That sense, that feeling, that place of loneliness, 
it's almost impossible to bear. But that is why in an act of strength called humility, it's time to quit talking. Lift your head up. Don't let the shame of life cause you to run and hide. Stand up. Let people say whatever they're going to say. And finally, keep your hands down. Fight against being defensive instead of spending your energy to fight against your accusers. And this is why Jesus promised this. Matthew 5, verse 10, 11, and 12. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it, Jesus says. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. When people mock you, when people laugh about you, when people say all kinds of crazy things about you, walk in humility and watch the reward that God will give you. You may be in a place right now where you are drinking from the cup of humility, of of humiliation. And it feels like you just don't want it, but it keeps coming. The cup keeps coming. But you can put the cup of humiliation down if you choose to pick up the cup of humility. Shut your mouth. Lift your head up. Keep your hands down. Let's bow our heads in prayer. It's where your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. It amazes me whenever I read the story of Jesus' arrest and his path up the streets of Jerusalem to the place that he died on top of a hill called Golgotha. Just what Jesus went through for us. At any point in that journey, any point In those moments of humiliation, those moments of pain, those moments of anguish, Jesus could have just said the word and relieved the pressure and the anguish and the pain and the suffering. But he chose to go through it for you and me. Jesus, in that moment of humiliation, chose humility when really he didn't have to. And so just in these closing moments before we dismiss and go on our way today, I want us just to really think about what Jesus did for us. As Jesus was spat on, as Jesus was whipped, 
as Jesus was mocked and taunted, he was like a lamb going before the shearers. As quiet and as still and as silent. And as I think about this story, all I can say is thank you, Jesus, for loving us the way that you do. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray today, if you're going through moments where you feel like you want to hide your face, if you're going through moments where you feel that maybe you've been accused or people are saying some things about you, maybe you're going through moments where you just feel that you're just getting so defensive whenever there's something negative or criticism of you. Maybe you've been on the wrong end of some bad treatments. Well, if that's you today, I want you to join me in this prayer. As we pray, as we stand against humiliation and embarrassment and shame, and we stand in humility. So Father God,